Welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. My name is Tim and I'm the host of the session. So in an earlier session, I put forward a model of human beings interacting with spiritual beings and it's a relational model of the interactions between... It's a relational model focusing on two persons interacting with each other. And there's natural questions that emerge around whether we can trust these experiences and questions that emerge around what these experiences mean. This is part three of the conversation between Steve and I just on questions related to certainty and reliability, which is really just a fancy way of saying how can we trust this experience and what does this experience really mean? Cool. So, so we kick off into kind of the, the question that I, I think we arrived at at the end of our last session, which is the question around, so it's this question around how trustworthy is this experience that we've been talking about? And it is one of the, the main critiques I hear from people who are unwilling or scared, reluctant, non, not aware, ignorant of the idea of, of experiential engagement with God that we've been talking about. So the number one critique is you have no way of, of proving that this is reliable or trustworthy. And so we're going to stick with what we know to be trustworthy. And then there's usually um you know the claims are staked against a text or an institution or a tradition or a doctrinal statement or dogma worse and and so so where would you kick off with that tim in terms of how how would you either answer those people or what are your your opening thoughts on on how do we rely on this experience i like the question i like the way you phrased it it's it's a conversation that i have often but it it never gets any easier to answer. There's so much defense around, how do I know that this experience that I'm having matches and is equal to this institutional view or this dogma or this belief that I have? And how does it line up with the Bible? You know, it's, or how does it line up with the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita or anything like that? And I think what's forgotten when people ask that is when you read any of those, and, and we can just backtrack and stick on familiar ground between you and I, like the, the Judeo-Christian thing, the Old Testament, New Testament thing, is it's a collection of a wide range of experiences. So, so I often say to people, what what would make you think it's, it's, it's a comfortable and reliable experience? And usually the ideas that they have don't match up well to, to the experiences reported in the text because the experiences that are reported are so deep and varied. And what it comes down to is basically going, if you don't trust your capacity for these and your capacity to rely on them, why on earth would you trust this text? That makes no sense. Find in some ways, I, I like to be a little bit sly in my answer <laughs> in turning it back to the presence and, and basically going, if you're not going to trust your own experiences, why on earth do you trust these? You know, anyone can tell any story and make it a part of any institution. We don't take, why would we take that as being true and reliable if we cannot test it and validate it for ourselves you know and that's that that is the modern world we we live in the that that methodology of, of testing something can we repeat it is it available to me can i can i check your sources can i check your research and, and all i'm doing in a sense by by putting the emphasis on bringing it back to experience and personal experience was building on that you know there's there's the notion this, there's this notion that people have the revelation and the experience of God fits this category that is outside of the boundaries of ordinary experience. And yet within the stories that we've told, they all fit within the boundaries of ordinary experience. And the minute you pick up any of these texts like the Bible and read it, 
they all fit within the boundaries of ordinary experience as well. They're not they're not experiences that fits and match the ideas that people have of how it's supposed to arrive fully formed from the clouds, right? Or, or arrive as some kind of authenticating thing. In most situations, even within the, the text of the Bible itself, Old and New Testament, the, the story is of someone going through that journey of building trusts and establishing reliability and recognition, and that taking place over a lifetime. And we might only have them mentioned in one sentence oh there was this person they walked with god and then they died and they were no more great wonderful summary you know it tells me nothing about what they did and what it looked like in other situations we've, we've got detailed stories you know take samuel getting called by god you know that, that initial account so there's a lot of doubt in that <laughs> you know um you know etc etc one one could pick out almost any of those stories and there's a very human questioning event involved in most and in fact there's hardly any that start off with this wonderful, oh, yay, thus saith the Lord, you know, I'm going with that. Like, I know exactly what this is. Yep. <laughs> so with many, there's a there's a fear component. There's a doubt component. You know, there's a there's a processing that's like, you know, and I think in some ways we've got to, we've, we've got to understand that if we are going to engage in, in this first person, present, continuous experience and journey, <clears throat> that for ourselves, we're going to go through that too. And that's part of the journey. You know, it's it's important to have these doubts. If you didn't have them, you probably wouldn't be a stable person. You probably wouldn't be a sane person. Everyone that has an experience that lies outside the ordinary everyday experience, that of of this nature, you you you, it it's very important that you start off by questioning it, and that you probably start off from the position of skepticism and doubt, because that is the normal reaction when you have something. In most situations, if someone is walking down the street and they get mugged, the internal process sometimes goes through the, oh my, this is happening to me. I can't believe this is happening to me. You know, there's a discombobulation, a, a disconnect between my life as it is and this event that's happening that's shaking up my life. And I feel like spirituality and mystical experience in that are the same kinds of things. They actually shake up our life and 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 it's very healthy and important to question them. And if you don't, I've got to go, hang on, was that was that perhaps more projection? If it if it feels too comfortable, then then it's it's possibly your own imagination, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean that's you know, there's we've got to unpack the experience that people have and the and some of the varieties of experience. And and the interplay between the unconscious and the unconscious and the awake and the you know et cetera et cetera in order to really get into that so 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 yes if we get into the dynamics of the experience there's different questions that 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 emerge but I think off the top of my head is 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 just recognizing the disconnect between here's a book where people had all these experiences and I must accept it what on the basis of their experiences and I can't have them myself what I don't believe that these experiences are real but somehow it's real for what the people in this book. So it's it's almost a cessationist take on on experiential encounter with the divine uh, to some level. It's it happened then; it was valid, but it no longer happens now. It, it is not valid, um, and and it's a rather strange position for me, especially seeing as I mean my default approach to it is this is your life. Your life is experience, even. Even if we employ scientific method, we're working off the ideas of observation, measurement, etc., based on what we are experiencing, what you're reading. Um, you know, you're you're taking in uh, 
video and audio input <laughs> and you're computing it and you are responding to this, stim this external stimuli um, and doing something with that and, and that that is life. And I think it's inescapable that experience is part of life. Uh, and so on that level, it's, it's somewhat confusing to me, perhaps, is the best way to describe it. I, I agree with you there because there's an absurdity to it, you know, and the absurdity is is the claim that it took God um, six days, usually, now over a literalized perspective, to create the cosmos, right? <laughs> Although they didn't understand it back then the way we do now, and then and then basically took a day off, um, things went messy, came back to write a book, and then took the rest of time off till the end, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just it, the logic is just absolutely absurd that that what this 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 creator and sustainer of the universe is spending most of the time what on on vacation in eternity, <laughs> you know, as opposed to desiring to be engaged relationally with us in in the present, you know, and and I think it's 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 also mixed up with absurd ideas of our separation from God and God's separation from creation and et cetera et cetera, as opposed to understanding there to be a difference between God's relationship with um, what God has created um, and there being a distinction between that relationship as creator and sustainer, which makes God as present to the pencil on my desk as to the big bad wolf Satan out there somewhere, um, you know, as close to, to, to me and the hot chocolate I'm drinking, right? So, so in that sense, as creator and sustainer, there is a there's a there's a, a potential availability of God just beyond my immediate reach. But that's completely different to God's relational presence. And God's relational presence is one of being known. And so, so the, the the tricky thing often with the text and the notion of faith is that what we've got to know about, but not know face to face. And, and it's the tricky thing of going. Well, God showed up when God picked up the, the energy and dropped enough disdain, usually, because the Satanism is coupled with lots of legalism, judgmentalism, often in my experience as well. God sullied his shoes, you know, because masculine, right? God sullied his shoes enough by, by, by choosing to spend some time with some people in history to prove a point and then is off holidaying and left us this book that if you're lucky enough to access, oh my goodness, you realize the scope of which everyone's just getting judged. <laughs> you know, and in that sense, it's, it's almost like there's, a, there's, there's this complete dysfunctional manipulation that goes on in and around it, you know, of, of how you're supposed to behave in order to belong and believe in order to behave right. Anyway, I, I think there's just a lot of, there's a lot of absurd things in that. But I think that the primary thing is that shift to going, you're not supposed to experience for yourself. Because this God that loves you doesn't actually have any time for you. We, we, we see that enough in dysfunctional human relationships. And I think somehow we've just projected that back onto God. And, and, and somehow we've got to deconstruct that and get people to give that up you know, and, and move towards the relational engagement. I think part and parcel of this as well for me is this idea of control that comes with, with a God that is easily managed. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is I think that the... The questions even are phrased from within a specific framework and they're framed towards reliability is actually control. And, and you look at this and, and I'm not, you know, I must be careful, I'm not anti-science and anti-research. I'm, I'm very pro those perspectives. 
um, and, and they do great good for what they are. And so research is a controlled environment because you have to control variables, et cetera, et cetera, so that at the end of the day, you can come up with a reliable and valid conclusion to your research. But there's very much then that the researcher must be in control. And I think that that's a part of the idea of, you know, how can you tell me this is trustworthy? How can you tell me this is reliable? Essentially, I want you to take the control position and you tell me God may or may not behave in these ways. And I think there's, again, that safety um, position, that comfort position for people in going, well, you know, we're actually quite comfortable with telling God how he, she, it may behave and may not behave. And it's couched in all sorts of, you know, really flowery language of God, but God has revealed his character to us through the scriptures and God wouldn't act outside of his character, et cetera, et cetera. But some of it is just so suspiciously close for me to, and this is a control issue. What you are saying is, I cannot experience God in this way, not because I am at fault, but because actually you, there's, a, there's a limiting thing here. We're trying to limit God and say, well, you know, you, you can't behave in this way. You can't behave in that way. Um, and I say that carefully because I think even within myself, I quite readily admit to, I have thoughts about what God can and cannot do. Um, and, and I'm often quite vocal with, with God about what God may or may not do in my life and the world, etc. But I have to, I think, face the question of um, God's agency in and of God's self as opposed to kind of the system that's built up around, well, you know, we can just rely and trust on this, and so God must fit that box. Um, and I think that's one of the challenges to the framework that says, how is this reliable? I, to some extent, I want to go, it's absolutely not reliable because I, I haven't domesticated this thing at all. So I have no idea what it might say to me. Um, and, and I want to guard against, you know, and I'll get to that just now. Um, I want to guard against the crazies and the cults. You know, I, I readily admit to that. I, I, don't, I don't want to see people saying in the name of God, right, let's go up the mountain and we'll all take the blue suicide pill. It'll be great. This is what God said. You know, I'm, I'm as nervous of those sorts of things as well. But at the same time, I think I have to embrace that challenge of, is this just an effort from my side to couch control in just really lovely language that sounds wonderful and beautiful um, and holy? The philosopher of, of science, Thomas Kuhn, wrote a book called The Structural Scientific Revolutions. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with it. His his work is, is is quite foundational to our idea of 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 paradigms and of 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 worldviews, and it's it's something that I I've I've, I've engaged with, with with quite a bit, and and he he speaks about there being these model questions and model answers that you feed to students within certain fields, right? And they learn to deal with that, and we don't like people who shake up those model questions and answers, and you know he. He's got a wonderful way of, of of unpacking that around the puzzle makers and the people that present new questions and how they're unwelcome. And I feel like in some ways, when people challenge a system that's in play, there's a reflex to defend it, right? And then as part of that, there's the accusation that comes with it. And and usually it, within religious communities, it's it's along the lines of we've got all the certainty and you're bringing us uncertainty we want the sense of absolute certainty that we're holding on to. If you cannot provide that for us, 
we can't take what you've got. And and I think that's that's the challenge is that we, we're not here asking people to move from certainty to uncertainty. We're asking people to move from the certainty and the idea of God to the relational engagement with that God or the certainty of the idea of, of, of emptiness to the engagement with that. To get past that, I arrive at the Buddhist temple, do a meditation, but I don't experience enlightenment. To arrive, to get past that, I arrive at a Christian church, I talk about Jesus as a risen Lord, but I never experience him because he never shows up and he's never invited. You know, to actually go beyond that, to go, what is what is my engagement with these things? Can I experience this for myself? Or is this something that I'm still just expected to to accept, you know, as a model question and answer? And because the question's been posed and the question has been answered, therefore I have I have faith, which is a leap from the text to the reality. But I don't experience the reality. And so and so for me, there's the there's there's the interplay between the idea of God as institutionalized. And the idea of God is I may have internalized it and the shakeup that comes from the engagement with the reality of God or the reality that transcendent as pursued. And I think it's very important that people get into, into that. But, but it does raise a lot of questions, not just in terms of um, the absolute reliability, because often people want to test, like, like I, I had a debate with someone the other day who's very strong on the idea of going, I want to know that you accept these propositional beliefs that I hold to be, you know, so true. And I'm going, that's not the starting point for me. That's not where I started. You know, I, I don't think it's important that people do. I'm, I'm open to murky theology. I'm open to people working out in process. You know, let's not lose sight of the fact that, that it took Protestants 300 years to work out the centrality of preaching the way they so hold on to as if it's always been the case. It hasn't always been the case. Or that it took the church 600 years to wo- work out the, the notion of the Trinity, right? To get to a place where they're happy with it, even though it's got, they've got a lot of problems with it, right? That's a long time for them to be processing that. That's people's lifetimes. It's not just one person or one generation. It's a lot of time to be debating and fighting with each other over stuff that we hold as though, you know, people have always believed this today. And I think it's the same kind of thing, except we've got a lot of experience in in one direction, but not in another. And the experience that we have is in reading a book and saying, this is what this book teaches us. We don't have experience in going, Hmm, how do I experience God? <laughs> you know, which is why which is why a question that follows up, this God that is supposed to be known, you know, people go, How do you know? How can you trust? And I go, It's interesting that you should ask that. Because this book that you're pointing to, that you're holding to, basically goes, if you don't know, start asking yourself some serious questions about what you're doing in this religion. Probably misquoted now, but there's the wonderful thing of the uh, of the good old Jesuits, you know, of, of, the, of the priests basically going, we want to take longer than the 15 minutes that you've allocated to us to spend time with God, right? We want to take more time with it. And, and Ignatius basically responding, well, if you need more time than that, you probably should get out of doing what you're doing. Like if you've fallen that far from God, <laughs> you know, and I, I think, I think we've got no sense of that today. We've got no sense of that. And of course, his spirituality was shaped by the immediacy of God's presence. I find as well, when you, when you get into the reality of the, of the process, people want to dip down to the certainty as well in many ways. So for instance, when I tell the stories of, of, of God abandoning me, which is a very real experience in a very real world scenario. And it's a, it's a telling for another time. I can easily distinguish between the people that go, 
let me hear that because I want to understand my sense of not having experienced God or my sense of being abandoned God my, myself. So being abandoned ahead of experiencing God even, you know, is, is a lot of this, a lot of the conversations that follow. But there's a there's often people that are invested in their faith whose response is to go, ah, you know, the following text says you'll never leave us nor forsake us, so you couldn't ever have actually abandoned you. And that's where they default to. And they completely ignore the reality of the experience. Now if someone is in the throes of that, I haven't experienced God and I'm, I'm desperate for it, or then the throes of God has just abandoned them, that, that's not a helpful response at all. It's not even a humane response. <laughs> it's not even a respectful response. And I feel like like this, this return to the first-person present continuous pursuit as well as to the, the authentic conversation is 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 an ownership of of the authentic experience and the pursuit thereof, rather than glossing over it because I can point to a text and go, therefore my experience must be wrong. I must believe this over and my above my experience. You know, um, I think it's more helpful to start with going, I don't know God or I don't trust God, than just to start of going, I know exactly who God is and 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 I'll tell God who God is. <laughs> you know, on the flip side, <laughs> yeah. And again, flies so much in the face of those texts that talk about searching, longing, seeking, seeking with all your heart, etc. I mean, who's who's searching for answers when they've already got them? What is the point? Um, and and even there, I would say, what is the point? Because the point is not to search for answers so much as to search for presence. Uh, and some of my experience has been, and also in terms of my so, so a lot of my experience has been, and also what I have read of other people's experience that I take seriously. So the mystics, um, I, I'm a great fan of some Jesuit writers in terms of how they tackle prayer, the presence of God, etc. Because it's not the idea of, but it's very much that. There's this, there's this idea that comes out of, you know, in some ways the presence of God can take you beyond questions and answers. And that sounds all very vague and fuzzy to somebody who wants, no, no, but the text says this, and so the experience has got to line up with that. And it's very hard to explain to somebody to go, yeah, but yes, in some ways, the relational presence has brought answers sometimes, sometimes it's brought questions, but equally it has also sometimes brought almost a peace. And I want to say peace because a, a lack of care sounds very flippant and apathetic. But there is this kind of, well, actually, right now, I don't care whether I have the answer or the question, because somehow this presence supersedes needing, you know, the voice doesn't have to come and say, Steve, this is the answer to everything. And I think sometimes that's what I pick up of some of this sort of evangelical idea of heaven that's put forward, you know, the the place where there's, you know, no more tears are shed, et cetera, et cetera. It's a place of, well... You know, even if God is an asshole here in this life and he orders, you know, people to be killed and horrible things and for you to hate people with different orientations, do et cetera, et cetera, don't worry. One day you'll go somewhere where it doesn't matter. And I go, okay, well, I'm going to reject that in terms of the future tense. But in the present tense, I have experienced that sometimes of, okay, this, this, this actually supersedes my need for an answer or my need to pursue a question. There's, there's something deeper and more transcendent than that. Uh, in in some of those moments, without trying to sound ridiculously super spiritual, we can understand that and, and and appreciate that. But often, 
often for the person that is that is raised and within the institution who believes by faith and not by experience and has got that tension, that dichotomy between the two, which I think is a construct. You know, it's it's a constructed dichotomy and it's not a dichotomy that's present for everyone. Um, and people can shift. You can shift from one paradigm, one worldview to to another. But but someone phrased it well when they said that that it's interesting that Christians put more faith in Satan's ability to deceive them than in God's ability to lead them. That's fantastic. Because because often the first question that comes out is is how do you know that that was God? I I, I do think in this it's entirely possible to have a genuine experience of God as the creator of the heavens and earth. You know, the sky parts and that kind of stuff, and you go, mm, thanks, I don't believe this, I'm out of here. Right. <laughs> you don't trust an authentic experience. On the flip side, um, something pitches up. Uh, it's, 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 it's flowery, it looks gorgeous, it's got the right kind of wings, it plays the right kind of harp, and says, I am the angel, such and such, and I'm representing God, and I'm saying the following to you, and you go, oh, wonderful, I believe you. And, and, yeah, I'm contrasting the notion of a, a genuine experience from someone legitimately representing themselves that you don't believe and therefore getting it wrong on one hand. And on the other hand, something speaking to you and you believing it and it leading you down the garden path, you know, for whichever reason at once. I, I don't think with this as a as a broad subject, we should pretend that because we've all got the same intentions of peace and love, um, that 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 we all have the same vision of what that means and the same understanding of what what we arrive at. I don't think that a lot of religious ideas are, are value neutral, and um, especially when the the, the relationships of the gods uh, are so vastly different. And so I can take a dead god as a as as an example of a of of a faith that isn't really popular today. You know, you don't see lots of people. Um, uh, worshipping Baal, for instance, uh, who claims to be the God Most High. Um, and you don't see them going around buying their firstborn children, right? <laughs> because God Most High goes, you're, you're my property, and as my property you will do this, and I don't give a stuff about you. You do this or I'm coming for you, right? Um, you, you don't see that very often today, do you, right? And, and yet, in the uh, in the Old Testament, you, you end up with this uh, being called Yahweh pitching up on the scene going, hey, I'm the one true God who created everything. Same claim. And going, you're so valuable to me that you will not put your eldest child on the briar. They can be close to me. They can be closer to me than you. They can serve me and get to know me and be in more proximity to me within the system than you can be. There's a massive difference between the value of the two there. I also think that there's a massive difference between the value of going, I respect you in your personhood, and I'm not going to roofie you to speak through you and use you like a meat puppet. I, I, I'm, I'm bringing a value statement to that, and I know that some listeners may be offended by it, and some people that I know personally will be offended by it. So I, I do understand that. I don't think that those kind of experiences, although they fit under the category of broad mystical experiences and spiritual being speaking, I think that there's, they demonstrate a big difference between the value for, for people and the value for who I or you are as, a, as an individual. 
And I think that there's also a big difference between, hey, you know, I, I want to hear from God. Oh, there's you, Steve. Oh, Steve, you're the person that hears from God. You hear from God for me because I'm incapable and I'm a worm and God thinks I suck. And, you know, you think I suck and you're so great and holy because God speaks to you. So you must be great and holy because God speaks to you, right? So, and if you do anything wrong, yeah, if you do anything wrong, I'm going to pull you down. <laughs> right, but at the same time, be holy, hear from God for me because I don't want to hear from God for me. I think there I'm communicating something with my value for God, you know, and so so I think that that there's an interplay between the participants, and I like the notion of participants and conscious participants um and yeah, perhaps even consciously unconsciously conscious participants as opposed to completely unconscious participants, and I think that there is a difference between them, and so I think when it comes to this the the nature and the scope of the spiritual being that we're dealing with has got behavioral characteristics. They have personality, they have intention, they've got ways in, in working with people, and we can get to know that. And so to some degree, we can go, does this match my religious textbook, <laughs> right? And we can go, perhaps it does, perhaps it doesn't. But if all I've got is the religious textbook and I don't have the who and what I'm supposed to be experiencing, what do I really have? And so I feel like that's that's the interplay. Can we get it wrong? Yes. Can we be led astray or deceived? Absolutely. Um, but that's part of the terrain. You don't train soldiers and deploy them to go on holiday, right? <laughs> you, you, you train soldiers, and if you need them, you send them to war. And the same thing with the relationship. We don't. We can preserve our relationships as institutions where the people in the relationships don't have relationships, you know, but they have the institution of the relationship, and therefore, as society, we're happy with them. A lot of religious, a lot of marriages are like that. They don't have a, you know, um, and again, yeah, I'm treading on personal ground, but it's the same kind of dimension. A lot of people can have faith in a God and be committed to a religion, but they're not experiencing. God. So what's the difference between them just making up an idea of God and them accepting an idea of God that is that is handed to them by by a textbook, you know, and, 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 and taught to them? There's no difference between the God that you make up. You know, I can I can carve an idol of wood and stone as a classic thing, or I can carve an idol of reason that matches an idea of God. But it, it can't speak to me. It's got no life of its own. And I think therein lies the difference. Is going, I can choose the safety of never experiencing God and choosing to believe in God. But is that a meaningful and satisfying relationship to me? And is it a meaningful and satisfying relationship to God? And I think that's the question we're often not getting around to. So can 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 we get can we get it wrong? Absolutely. Right? It can be hard to tell the difference between the dream that I think that God's speaking to me, but it's just my dream. The dream that I think God's speaking to me and it's just my inner monkey processing something. And at a level that can be completely like on one level of the extreme, that it doesn't matter if I believe it's God and it's not. On the other hand, depending on what I think God's telling me, it can matter a tremendous amount because some gods might want us to go back to buying our firstborn children, right? And we need to distinguish the not God who claims to be God from the God who goes, well, I don't necessarily have to claim it, but you'll know. Or who claims it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think, I think, yeah, people are often debating a concept in the abstract that is so far removed from them that they can always be arguing for or against it. Uh, 
but it's 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 in it's in the no man and no woman's land of neither here nor there of it and have an experience but i'm going to judge you for having an experience or saying that we should have experience you know and i think i think these questions of of reliability and trustworthiness um need to they need to meet the rubber of engagement the road of engagement and be answered there because they cannot be answered in the abstract we can always argue for or against the abstract on the basis of the certainty of our institution and religion um yeah mm. now that's good i think that that's that's really helpful because my my sense of kind of what follows from there as i've been thinking through the um you know, what would I say to somebody who says, so that's great in the abstract, this whole idea of hearing from God, etc. But what does that look like in the practical if I have to ask myself the questions of what am I hearing from? Who am I hearing from? Is what I'm supposedly hearing, is that reliable? Am I hearing the echo of my own thoughts, my own desires, um, my twisted experiences, etc.? You know, and, and these are the things that I find that <clears throat> more conservative religion and institutionalized religion. These are the arguments that are brought against this, right? It's that you can't trust yourself because something happened to you in the past, or it's just your own, you know, if I think it's in the Christian context, it's your it's your flesh speaking. It's all this this kind of language that just seeks to devalue that. But in the practical, it is possible to pursue that, to believe it, to trust that it is trustworthy. And then also to ask those questions. Um, and something that I found really helpful now when you get to the practical rub of the road experience that you're talking about is this idea that, that some of the mystic writers and the great prayer writers, etc., put forward of this, this false self and true self. Um, I mean, it surfaces in psychology as well, which I find incredibly helpful to look at kind of what is the self that is, is self-constructed and projected to the world as a defense mechanism. It's a, it's a physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual survival system, essentially. Um, preserve that inside you that, you know, for various reasons you believe cannot be shown, uh, you know, you, you refuse to be vulnerable, etc., etc. You know, it's, it's, in the Christian framework, it's Genesis 3. It's the fig leaf idea of there is the person with the fig leaf and the person under the fig leaf, basically, to put it that way. Um, and that embracing the idea that experience of God is both valid and reliable, if I use the scientific language for a moment, does not mean that you then don't have to ask any further questions and you don't have to engage with some of these things. For example, is what I'm thinking something that's coming up because of a trauma of my past or because of the twisting of, you know, as I'm deconstructing away from ideas of God towards engaging with the actual personhood of God, you know, what's going on there? I remember somebody, this is this is coming coming out of kind of the 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 mainline charismatic Christian space. And they were talking about the whole, whole idea of the prophetic and God speaks to you and he essentially, she speaks to you, it speaks to you. I'm trying to get better at that. <laughs> um, and, and you believe they're saying something to you and you believe it's for a gathering of people or a specific individual or whatever. And one of the things that they said was, you know, this for them is, a, is an important question. Is this something that's just being said to you 
And the only way that you can give it importance in your own life is to magnify it and go, oh, God is speaking to the whole congregation this morning. So let me go forward, take the microphone and tell everyone, this is what God says today. But actually the reality of it is God is speaking only to you and telling you today is a day of, I don't know, repentance, fasting, dancing on your left foot, you know, poking yourself in the eye, whatever it is that's come through. And that those questions are really important. And I think that there's an awareness part uh, element to that, being aware that, you know, you talk about the idea of getting to know this person um, in this engagement. And there's, a, there's an awareness of yourself and the other person. And then I think also there's a really helpful community perspective to that, which doesn't divorce from the reality of these experiences but takes it into community as, as I think you and I both have experience of that, of sitting with someone and saying, God said this to me. What do you think? Or help me unpack it. Is this just because I wasn't hugged enough as a child or because, you know, somebody once called me stupid or because the church has told me I'm unworthy or, you know, and, and in some ways then you do get a sort of a communal sharing around, you know, I've heard similar things or I've heard different things. But I think for me, it still holds out the, the truth of the trustworthiness of the engagement and that the person with which you engage to ask these questions needs to, I think, also have that paramount in their sort of modus operandi and that they're not going to come in with, you know, I love how you put it, with the textbook and go, nope, I can tell you immediately that's wrong but rather go, that's great. I love that you're asking that question. Let's ask that question together. Um, and, you know, and then again, to, to use your language, let's ask God to draw near and speak and act. Is, is this what you're saying? You know, do you really want this person to jump about on their left leg? Okay. And, and there's the sort of a discernment to use the Christian phrases, et cetera, et cetera, which I think is really important. And so accepting this does not mean that it's a blanket. I, it's my perspective at the moment. It doesn't mean that we let all the crazies in the door who say, let's go to the top of the mountain and jump off together because that's what God says. And I think there is still deep investigation. As you say, you know, what is the voice of Baal and the voice of Yahweh in, the, in, that, in that picture there? Um, and that's vital uh, to not just go, because I think that's, that's the critique is, well, then you're just opening the floodgates and anything goes. There's a there's a working it out in your experience. So if you if you for instance have a dream, and you have to do something with it, when you try to do with it what you expect to do with it, you, you kind of shown up for it, right, <laughs> or not? And so it it can be difficult. I I remember having a dream about a a couple that I that I knew when I was first starting out with this kind of stuff, and in the dream standing in the lounge between the two of them. And when I looked at her, I heard all the emotional and verbal abuse words and phrases that she was throwing at her husband. When I looked at him, I saw the woman he was having an affair with. And it, I, I, the, the dream stayed with me for about three weeks and I struggled with it. I went to go and see them and had a conversation with them. And I, I didn't quite have the conversation with her because back in those days, I was tremendously... Um, sexist in the sense that men can't be abused by women and they very much can and not understanding that dimension of emotional and, and verbal abuse that takes place often in, in relationships it, um, 
you know, but ah, that's another story. And then when I drew him aside and I, I spoke to him, I got the image wrong because I described the woman by an analogy, by, by nationality. And he was like, no, no, I'm not having an affair with a woman of that nationality. And, and I left. I mean, this is a couple I, I respected. I'd stayed with them for, 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 for a year. Um, I was devastated. Um, three months later, <laughs> I, I, I heard via the grapevine that they, were, that they were getting divorced and that his uh, his girlfriend was pregnant that he had been having an affair with. And, um, and, and so how did I know? I, I had this unsettling dream. I had to test it. In testing it, I, I was I was I was I was shamed and I was embarrassed. But the dream was from God, and the dream was right, and it was part of my journey to discovering that. On the flip side, there's there's another story I can tell where 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 here I am. I, I believe I've experienced God in these ways, and I've got these missionaries on the door trying to convert me to their religion. And the one guy um, is from a particular island, and he believes what he believes. Why? Because an angel appeared to him, and I've got no reason to misjudge him like for his experience, right? And and at that stage, I was wanting to authentically engage and hear his, his story and all that kind of stuff because you don't hear that kind of stuff very often and people don't lay claim to that kind of stuff lest we put them in the crazy box, you know, yonder crazy box. And so, and so the, you know, I'd heard his story out, et cetera, et cetera, and they came back to basically tell me that they were going to stop coming to me because I wasn't willing to convert to their faith and whatever. And I said, okay, that's cool. I'm fine with that. But can I pray for you? And they're like, yeah, sure. So I said, no, I mean, now let me, let's invite God to come and see what God wants to say and do. And the guy who'd had that experience, he sunk into his chair and he gripped the edges and his knuckles went white and he started shaking and he spoke with a different voice that went in this growly no. And his partner was with him, like his his eyes went wide. I don't I don't think I've seen someone's eyes go as wide as that. I thought if eyes went that wide, they'd fall out. Right. Anyway, so 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 they, they, there's another example of someone who believes that they've had a genuine experience and they have had a genuine experience and they trust that experience. And I've had an experience. And now we go, let's invite God together. <laughs> and suddenly the one shows itself up as being a spirit that is basically gone. I'm telling you the truth, but I'm actually not. You know, and then we've got a we've got a different dimension taking place. And again, that's into a bold versus Yahweh type scenario. Where I think in, in each of these cases, how how do you know? Well, you you build up over time a sense of what God's voice is like, you know. Um you know, in some people's cases, you'll never recognize your parents' voice because you never heard it, <laughs> or they're so distant to you. And other people, you've got a close relationship that you don't even have to know the number. When you hear the voice, you know exactly who's speaking. And it's the same with your friends or your family or your children, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that, that in intimacy you know. Um, and um, to refer to, to Thomas Kuhn again, he talks about a guy called Michael Polanyi who distinguished between tacit and explicit knowledge. There's a knowing that you get through the experience of doing something, but you can't necessarily clearly articulate it. And it's not a rational thing. You haven't analyzed it, but you know it. And then there's the knowing that you have from approaching something and dissecting it and reasoning it through and coming to understand it. And there's a difference between it. And I think often what people have when they talk about the questions of reliability, trustworthiness, validity, repeatability, et cetera, et cetera, is often they're taking a textbook understanding and they're trying to uh, trying to apply it to something they've got no real world experience of. 
And then how can you ever trust something? Well, you can't because you actually don't know it. Versus, versus what I feel like like I talk about and, and what you talk about, where we, we talk about a knowing that, that, it, that emerges in the context of a relationship and a relationship that has taken place over a long period of time, you know, of, of actually having to figure out who and what is this and can I trust it? You know, um, you know um, although my, my experience started off with, with quite a spectacular engagement uh, and again, a story for another time, but the subsequent experience went, went like that. So uh, how did, there's a mismatch between the intensity of the experience and the, and the clarity of the experience. So, so, so there's the absolute clarity of, of the initial experience versus the vagueness of these others. What do, what do I do with them? There's, there's the face-to-face -face engagement that I started with and then the indirect, the speaking about someone, the dream about someone, you know, where, where it's not the face-to-face -face with God that's present. It's the, I'm in the situation standing between this couple. I hear what she's saying to him to abuse him. I see the person he's having an affair with. What do I do with that? How do I trust this? You know, and so, so, so I've, I've started processing in this way. And so when, when I'm when I'm doing this kind of stuff and, and um, facilitating other people's engagement with God, I, I distinguish between the level of clarity that I've got. So I'll often go, I, f I feel, or I think I'm seeing, or how does this sit with you in some situations? In other situations, I'll go, here's exactly what I see, no doubt about it. We need more of these stories, and we need more people telling them and experiencing them. We need more people seeking them. And, and we need to do that more consistently in our, in our, in our own lives because I think this is, this is the priority. The, the, in this sense, when it comes to spirituality and mysticism, is going, certainly in this kind of personal mysticism, experiencing the transcendent, the personal transcendent, the inbreaking of the, of the person of God as opposed to emptiness and the reflection of self. You know, that's, that's, you know we'll, we'll get into those others another time because I think they're, they're equally important and they need to stand alongside this. And I know that that opens up a whole nother bunch of questions <laughs> for, 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 but I, I know that when people bring those, those, those issues and those concerns, they're often deflecting and avoiding the personal engagement themselves. There's, there's almost questions that need to be asked back. But, but I think in this, that, that, that question that, you know, and we've got to settle that offhand off the top of our head. I can have a genuine experience and not trust it. I must recognize that God comes to me as a stranger who I don't trust. Absolutely. I mean, I, th I think I would end with, with just echoing that with, with two little simple stories. So I had a long conversation with a, a friend of mine this morning who's in, in ministry at a church uh, somewhere in South Africa. I promised them I would uh, keep it vague. <laughs> yeah, because I think that's, that's fair enough. Anyway, so I had this long conversation with this friend of mine this morning, and this was one thing that resonated very deeply with them. They said, there is not enough of this, and they are missing this idea of being able to speak about to others of their own experiences. So obviously that, you know, that goes hand in hand with having those experiences and being able to sit with others and speak of these experiences and that there's too much of the trappings of the institution around and missing that meat, that life-giving uh, element to, to, to their lives and the lives of the community that they're involved in. And then second was something that, that really struck me. Um, so my wife is pregnant. We're having a little baby girl. And weeks ago, 
my daughter, who is just besotted with this idea of this new baby coming in, she wanted to know, and she kept asking, is it a boy, is it a girl? Is it a boy, is it a girl? And I realized later on reflection, I somewhat flippantly said to her, um, I was semi-serious, but I must admit I didn't expect it to kind of play out. I said to her when I was putting her to bed one night, well, why don't you ask Jesus, because that's the framework that she's familiar with, why don't you ask Jesus tonight to come and speak to you while you're sleeping and, you, and, he, and ask him to tell you whether you're going to have a baby brother or a baby sister. And I kind of dismissed it. And the next morning she came to me and she said, Jesus says I'm going to have a baby sister. And she was right. <laughs> and, and, I, and I want to, and I must be honest, despite all our conversation this evening, I want to dismiss that. And it's, look, you know, she has a 50% chance of getting it right, et cetera, et cetera. But that is the rubber hitting the road experience that I have to take seriously, even in a six-year-old. I have to take seriously that she earnestly would have gone and actually asked that question. And I heard her ask it because, you know, she buried a little face in her pillow and said, Jesus, please tell me tonight while I sleep, am I getting a baby brother or a baby sister? Um, and I can't step back from that abstractly and think about it theoretically. I have to engage that there is a little person very dear to me in my life that earnestly asked a question as earnestly as a six-year-old can and believes that she received an answer, and she was right. And that for me is, is incredibly encouraging that these things, this is real, that it is trustworthy, that it, is, it, it can be relied upon, no matter the questions that go with that and the exploration, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was encouraged by that conversation with my friend this morning that this can be done, it can be done well, it can be done earnestly, it can be done in community, and it is even available to, to the very young amongst us, potentially those that are actually yet unsullied in some ways of their innocence in this world. Um, and that's kind of where I, I, I sort of end this evening. I think I think if you don't mind, just by way of ending for myself, I'd just like to pick up on, on those. So for instance, with, with, with Bella, something like that is easy to dismiss and go, it's 50-50. She could have just gotten right by chance. But imagine it from the perspective of, of God as someone who goes, I want to teach you to hear my voice. This is a simple thing I'm actually going to tell you. To start from that foundation of going, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a teaching and a training element to it. And that learning, God teaching us God's voice is like me teaching one of my children to drive one day. You know, I'm, I'm going to take them, I'm going to make it a safe experience where arguably they're not driving, right? Because I, I'm still teaching them. They're doing bits of it. and They've got to put it together. And they're going to get it right and they're going to get it wrong. And they're going to be gung-ho and they're going to be too timid, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to be confused even when they're doing it. I remember the first time after I got my license driving in, 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 in peak hour traffic and traffic being nuts and, and, I, and I'm alone and I get caught lane splitting because I wasn't confident enough to – to to change lens um and someone then cut me off you know and so 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 it's a complex experience and i i, I think i think with this we've got to we've got to recognize like for instance i rollerbladed a lot in the past um, my son laid claim to my pair of nice rollerblades so i got another pair for myself and in the past i'd always used the heel brake so i never learned to stop i never learned any of the advanced braking techniques 
So now I've started my son without a heel stop <laughs> because I didn't have them on my old old pair. But and on my new pair, I don't. I, they didn't even come with them. But we're learning that stuff together. And I think for me, that's a bit of a model of people who have congregations in a way that that are going. I I don't have this, and I want this, and I've got a congregation that doesn't have it, and I want it for them. How do we learn this together? You've got to take that risk of falling together. And so both my son Jethro and I pay the skin tax from learning these things. You know, him a bit more than me, thankfully. <laughs> so I still get to look good most of the time, right? But but it's the same it's the same thing. We're still we're still in it together and we're still we're working it through. And I think I think with this it's exactly that. Like with your friend in in um in the, the, the church environment, basically going, they want more of this. You know, I, I've, I, I developed a few courses in the past that have been tried and tested that after taking a 10-year break and coming back, I picked them up again and 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 have been developing them and been writing them. And they, they're precisely for this, they're for this very thing of how do I take a group of people and how do we journey this together? And how do we shift to the first person present continuous and the engagement with the experience? How do we make room for this? How do we create a culture for this? How do we nurture and practice the presence of God? So it's not like, you know, and I'm not I'm not the only one that's that sort through this and put stuff like this together, but but that kind of stuff is available. And and again, it's the kind of thing like like nothing that I do along these lines is commercialized. And it's stuff that is, is freely available. And at the same time, nothing is, is, is very complicated because people can just pick up, up and, and run with it and take the risks, right? <laughs> it's not me they've got to trust. It's not the material they've got to trust. It's the reality of, of God's relational presence. There, there are these series, the seven key relationships in the Trinity sessions. So when I've been wrestling with people in churches and going, there's these things, let's do it. I've experienced people take it and basically go, let's turn this into a teaching opportunity. Why? Because that's the zone we come from with. We don't we don't trust that home group leader <laughs> to run a course like this because how they're gonna know if it's God speaking to them or something else. You know, and and there again, you know, back to that earlier point. We put more trust in Satan's ability to deceive than God's ability. We we we, we put so little stock in God's love of people that we don't trust that God is going to love people enough to respond to that request, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And one can, you know, we can choose through this in, in any number of ways. But but again, you know, um, in time, as part of the deconstruction and reconstruction, we'll get around to introducing people to this and we'll, 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 we'll debate this and I'll introduce you to these courses and, you know, we can talk about them and the pros and the cons, et cetera, et cetera, down, down the line. But I think it's useful for the listener to know that this this is not just a deconstruction that hasn't, walk the experience of, of unpacking the stuff in the past, you know, there, there is some history to it. There is some legs behind us, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of, lots of ground that has been covered. This brings us to the end of this episode. We've got one more episode following on this, uh, on this topic. And then after that, uh, we're going to do a new series, uh, which is going to bring a little bit of a revamp and a change the format. And I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you. 